Here oh. we go. The NSYNC song. <laughs> oh, my God. I have Did not thought about back? NSYNC in, yeah, a very long time. Shame on you. Oh, man. <laughs> Fine. That's fair. You know, fair. they're a very important part of us. I know. But boy bands will never die if Simon Cowell has anything to do with it. Boy bands should never die. Boy bands are the best. <laughs> Who's the new boy band? Is there an, is there a new boy band? Like One Probably. Direction, but obviously yeah, they Yeah, One Direction disbanded. broke up a couple years ago. Yeah. Um, now we have the beauty that is Harry Styles. Oh, God, I love him. I know. Are you a good witch? Or a bad bitch, bad bitch, bad bitch. I've been a rebel all my life. We will not remain hidden figures. We have names. I didn't kid you, did I? Well, now you know. Anyway, this is a good witches, bad bitches. We're a podcast about women, even though we were just talking about boy bands. Um, (laughs) But boy bands are very important to American female culture. So it's true. It's true. You know, or, or we do what we want. Culture, I don't know. It's it's our show, so we can we can do what we want. We can define ourselves how we want. We can yeah. uh, d- uh, intro this however we want, and that's that's that. That's that on that. <laughs> anyway, I'm Deanna, and that's Hannah. Hi. <laughs> and uh, if you're looking for two. People to talk casually and excitedly about women throughout history. You're in the right place. Um, if you're a Trump supporter, you probably are in the wrong place and you're going to be really <laughs> mad. <laughs> yeah, let's get this. that out of the way now in case there are any new new <laughs> listeners on the. But God, I mean, wh- what do you expect uh, when we're broadcasting ourselves as a podcast about women and feminine folk? throughout and history witches. and witches you have to know we are not talking about conservatives right like because it's never been like that i don't know i don't know like i mean maybe a little but anyway on. the world is on fire or america's on fire and it's only going to get worse and we're just here trying to de-stress by talking about women we admire or women who scare us that's right <laughs> But That's either right, way, we have they talked accomplished about a, a lot. <laughs> Women who scare us. I like that. That's going to be, uh, for sure, like, closer to Halloween. Uh, maybe that's our theme this year, Women Who Scare Us. Women Who Scare Us. We've done a well, lot of witches. Yeah, this is true. But, I mean, somewhat, my person this week is inspired by the beginning of spookin' season, even though this episode comes out on September 30th, to me, spookin' season starts September 1st. <laughs> All right. All you right. You know what I mean? I'm here for it. But it's also uh, on theme for Hispanic Heritage Month, mm-hmm. um, and I wanted to stay on that theme as well. Hell yeah. Because that's uh, that goes until October 15th. Yep. So. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We've got a couple more weeks of it. We sure do. And maybe more, can, like, depending on if we want to Who we add pick an extra for week in season. <laughs> since we, we had a, a break. That's um, true. That's true. But yeah, should I just dive right in for my I lady think you of the should. week? Today, I want to talk to you about Maria Andreu. Okay. I don't know the name. 
I'm sure you do not. She's going to be one of our more obscure ones. Ooh. But I like her nonetheless. All right. So let's uh, let's dive in. The history of Florida lighthouses. Okay. What? Began <laughs> nearly 450 years ago when Don Pedro Menendez claimed Florida as part of Spain in 1565. Even oh, though there are plenty of indigenous folks living there at the time. Uh, but we're not here to talk about that. Yeah, uh, yep, that's not another today. episode. <laughs> yeah. Listen to the Anna Kayona episode. Hell yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> um, many of the structures were built along the east coast of the state, as you would expect, which uh, would alert mariners that a sandy shoal was nearby. When you think about lighthouse keepers, what comes to mind, Hannah? Um, well, since I only just recently saw the lighthouse, um, drunk white dudes falling all over each other and um, hallucinating sirens on the shore. Yeah. Pretty probably much. That. Yeah. that movie is good and I never want to see it again. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Good review. I like that. <laughs> um, so perhaps because of the movie, it will remind you of like long, lonely nights dutifully keeping lamps burning for ships unseen. Yes. Alternatively, perhaps a long day spent painting the lighthouse tower. Lighthouse keeping meant a hard life, especially as we think about it today. Yeah. Along our nation's coasts, our nation being the United States of America. <clears throat> yeah. It is it's Florida centric right now. Um, keepers helped ensure a looming light on the horizon would be seen by sailors, making them aware of a port or hazard to navigation. Mm. For mariners navigating a relentless and sometimes unforgiving sea in the 19th century, lighthouses along shorelines were a vital lifeline in maintaining safety at sea. Because they like helped them dodge rocks, and especially in storms, they were really important. Cause... Or if it was foggy. Yeah. Like, sometimes it's just really impossible to see, and a lighthouse would warn ships to stay away basically yeah was a lighthouse maybe you don't know this but was a lighthouse generally perched in an area where there w were no rocks to help like guide them away from rocks and coral no, think, and things i think they were perched in areas that there were rocks and it was like a, a cautionary oh. like this is a hazard here don't come here oh oh <laughs> okay that makes sense yeah. Sort of That's situation. why they were. On, I'm like, not a lighthouse expert, even though I do have a slight lighthouse obsession. But do you? I guess that makes it, sense. You have a. It has a to do with my ships thing. Yeah. <laughs> if you go to lighthouse museums, they talk about shipwrecks. It's, yep, it's all interconnected for me. If you go to lighthouse museums, I love that. As if we all just go to lighthouse museums. <laughs> I've been to a few. <laughs> I love that. I've never been. Now I'm going to have to go. There's some really good ones. Um, on oh no, what is the lake? I think it is it Lake Erie. One of the, it's one of the Great Lakes up north that's basically as big as the sea. Right, you would need a lighthouse. And there there have been tons of shipwrecks up there, and oh. um, so there's lots of lighthouse museums. Shit. I think like GPS navigation has kind of made lighthouses somewhat obsolete. I think they still exist and they're still in use, but it's not as significant as it right. used to be. I used to live on a Great Lake, and I never ever thought about the fact that you would need. A lighthouse but mm -hmm. having seen across the water and you like when you're on a great lake you can't see across to the other side they're massive Huge. they have waves they look just like the ocean 
Yeah. If you're in a plane, you can't see land on either side end of the plane if you're flying across one. Oh, they're, yeah. That's a good they're point. massive. Because I've done a God. fair few having family in Michigan, Chicago to, to Detroit. You fly over the lake. All right. So if we have any listeners in Michigan or on or near any Great Lakes, go to a lighthouse museum because they're going to be there. I encourage it. They probably went in school. Mm, yeah, potentially. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry. Tangent. <laughs> No, that was I was totally. On I'm board just for fascinated. It. I yeah, could, me, me too. Um, so as we kind of stated, over time, lighthouses gradually transformed into an organization specifically for marine traffic um, to keep track of other ships and stuff. Right. Um, but it's being a lighthouse keeper was a difficult job because most lighthouses were in isolated locations, like hard to get mm. to. Um, when you were there, you were there, and you had to rely on receiving supplies. Um. And stuff like that just to live. Yeah. Um, but because the job was so difficult, the responsibility meant that light keepers or lighthouse keepers were held in the highest of respect by their local community and government. Oh. Yeah. So they were required to ensure that light was continuously lit throughout the night. They could, mm-hmm. The light could never go out. Um, and it also entailed taking care of mariners in distress. So... The effort to reach out to mariners in need of help became rooted in the service's daily responsibility. So oh, they were that's able interesting. to. Yeah. And I guess as as technology grew when they had Marconi radios and things like that, mm-hmm. they would be able to communicate that quicker. That's um, interesting. I had never yeah. thought about that. About I always assumed that they were just kind of like a, a beacon and, you know, whatever happened to ships would happen. But yeah. I didn't think about the uh, how integral they were to. Well, yeah, if, if the ship starts having distress in a remote location, but you can see a lighthouse, you know that at least someone is there that can help. Right. Ideally. Um, yeah. So rendering relief to those in need became second nature to lighthouse keepers because they stood watch continuously around the clock. Um, yeah. Um, during the lighthouse boom of the 19th century, jobs requiring a rugged self-reliance would have typically been like male-dominated fields. Yes. Um, while both sexes had worked equally hard on the frontier in the uh, United States during the 17th and 18th centuries, um, the Industrial Revolution kind of cemented, even up till now, a lot of Western views of men's roles as workers and women's roles as housekeepers. Oh, yeah. Um, and the lighthouse service wasn't really an exception to this rule. Usually it was expected that lighthouse keepers were male, um, even though if they had a wife, some frequently their wife and kids would live with them. So obviously everybody was working from dawn until dusk in the family. Um, but men made up the overwhelming majority of government appointed lighthouse keepers who received pay for the work that they performed fascinating so it was often necessary for women to serve too even though they weren't rewarded officially um Ah. when conditions permitted families to live on a light station everyone helped as we said keepers wives assisted their husbands in critical capacities um because they they would only get limited supplies delivered to them at certain times like they had to tend a garden, they had to raise livestock, they had to manage the supplies and the st- like making sure they weren't going through them too quickly, inventorying equipment and household goods. And then, I mean, that's not even to say if they had kids, because then they were also in charge of educating the children and watching the children, yep. and cooking for the whole family and all of that. 
And uh, women also helped pass the white glove inspections when supply ships would, with inspectors would come visit. Um, oh. If a station won an efficiency pennant from the lighthouse service, uh, then it was because of everyone's effort. Kids, moms, dads, everybody. Yeah. Um, because they had a mandate to keep the light on no matter what. And so obviously wives and daughters, no doubt, would light the lamps too. <laughs> yep. And yep. nothing about that was uncommon. At the time. Right. Um, in some instances, women became official guardians of the light, is what they're called. Really? Yep. The 1883 United States Treasury Register lists the nation's lighthouse keepers. And uh, um, on it, you can see that there are salaries to several wives and daughters who were assistant keepers. Oh. Um, yep. Yeah. In the 6th District, which included the St. Augustine Lighthouse, which I will say is one of the most haunted places in America. Isn't it the oldest city in America? It's the oldest. Because it was where the Spaniards landed, basically. I think it's the oldest. I think I remember reading that it's the the oldest um, continuously occupied settlement in the U.S. Yeah. Like 1532 or something was when it was founded in Florida. Yeah. Yeah. and it, because the lighthouse there was what is so old, um, it's it's haunted as hell. It's like I, one of the places that ghost hunters go all the time. I want to go to there. Yes, me too. And so on this registry from 1883, it was noted that there were three women keepers of the St. Augustine Lighthouse. Um, Consecutively or by simultaneously? That time, I think. It's not simultaneous. Okay. Um, Bridget Connor was uh, assistant keeper with her husband, Patrick. Um, oh, sorry. It's the, the region, not St. Augustine. Okay. So so she was uh, in charge of, with her husband, um, the Dowfusky Island Range Light in South Carolina. I'm sorry. I did not look up how to say that. <laughs> but she was being paid by the government $400 a year. All right. Um, what year? Patrick. Uh, it was before 1883 or maybe. Okay. Um, Patrick was making about $560 a year. So it was not that much different. It's not like she was getting paid a fraction. Right. Um, A a small fraction, I mean, because obviously it is. Anyway. (laughs) We don't have um, to talk about that. (laughs) um, Sophronia Bradwell was assistant keeper with her husband, John, at the Wolf Island Range Light in Georgia. That's a great Um, name, by the way. Yeah. Sophronia. (laughs) Sophronia. Wow. Um, and they earned the same respective pay as the Connors. So she made 400 and he made 560. Interesting. Because she was an assistant, technically. Yes. Okay. She's assistant light keeper. Um, oh, I guess all of these are in 1883. These were active at the time. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. This, is, this next sentence answered that for me. Um, at the St. John's River Light, Frances McDonald served with her husband, Alexander. She made four hundred a year, and Alexander made six hundred. Okay. Um, keepers' families, of course, had housing, fuel, and other necessities provided. Food too, I assume. Um, I think they would Maybe. get some food, but some it, provisions. That was yeah. Uh, in some cases, keepers' wives and daughters took over for husbands or fathers no longer able to perform their duties. Um, apparently, Ida Lewis is the most famous example. We're not talking about her today, but a little tidbit is her father had a stroke not long after moving um to the lime rock light station off newport rhode island so she was known is known for her heroism in rescuing people 
from the sea. Like she became nationally famous for rescuing so many people. Oh. Um, And she was also among the most well-paid head lighthouse keepers at $750 a year. Oh, damn. And she was even on the cover of Harper's Weekly in 1869. (laughs) Just like because of what she was doing? Yeah. Because she was a national hero. Oh, that's fucking cool. Ida Lewis? Yeah. Okay, cool. I'm going to keep that in the brain pan. Uh, Yeah, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then at the St. Augustine Lighthouse, um, headkeeper William Harn passed away in 1889 from tuberculosis. Um, He probably contracted TB while he was a Union officer in the American Civil War. Uh, His military records list lots of health health problems. Um, but his wife, Kate Skillenharn, became second assistant keeper after his death. And she had almost certainly helped him throughout his 14-year tenure previously. Yeah. Um, and serving as second assistant keeper allowed her to support her six daughters. Oh, my God. Until she received William's pension. Ugh. And then so she served as that lighthouse keeper for six months and then moved her family to a town for a few years before moving back to Maine which is where she was from. But before Kate Harn, there was another woman who served as head lighthouse keeper at St. Augustine. And her name was Maria de los Dolores Mestra Andreu. Sorry for that pronunciation, but she has a long and beautiful name and I wanted to say it all. Um, And remind me, remind me what year you said? uh, It was before Kate. Kate was in the late in 1889. Okay. Is when she stepped in. So okay, we'll, cool. we'll get into it. We're getting All right. into it. All right. Because um, time does play a factor in her tenure. Okay. Um, so as previously stated, responsibilities of a lighthouse keeper in 1859 were not for the lighthearted, especially for one on an 18-mile-long island that was isolated and wasn't easily accessible. St. Augustine. Uh-oh. Yep. And especially for one with 12 children, the source says. No. Oh, my God. Yeah. So supplies for maintenance of the lighthouse were sent by the government regularly, but food was not. So not only did lighthouse keepers have to make sure the light was continuously lit through the night, but they had to hunt and grow food and raise livestock and stuff like that. They were in charge of their own food. Oh, my God. And so any children, too as previously mentioned, who lived there had to be educated (laughs) while they were there. Um, So before that, lighthouse keepers of St. Augustine had been male. um, And Maria's husband, Juan, uh, was the first Hispanic American to serve in the Coast Guard and the first to oversee a federal installation of any kind. Because if you are in the lighthouse keeper like group of people you're part of the coast guard oh mm-hmm. oh so he was the first hispanic american that. to hold that post crazy okay mm-hmm. so there's a man named isaiah william penn lewis and he is an engineer for lighthouses um in an official capacity to the u.s lighthouse survey and he said um the best keepers are found to be old sailors who are accustomed to watch at night who are more likely to turn out in bad weather and find their way to the lighthouse to trim the lamps because in such weather they know by experience the value of a light Mm -hmm. while on similar occasions, the landsman keeper would be apt to consider such weather as the best excuse for remaining snug in bed. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, yes. 
Um, so Maria had lived and worked at the lighthouse while her husband was keeper from 1824 to 1845 and 1854 to 1859. Oh, wow. I mean, that's which, a long ass time. Yeah. Which already made her an incredibly qualified lighthouse keeper. So yeah, no longer she, an assistant. She knows her shit. Um, Joseph and Maria were of Menorcan descent, um, which is uh, an island in the Caribbean. That's what I was able to look up. Um, their ancestors lived in Florida as indentured servants on a plantation mm. in the 18th century. Uh. Um, yep. So, but they fled like many other Menorcans who came over and then traveled to St. Augustine um, when that, that uh, plantation was abandoned in 1777 Crazy. by the guy who owned it. Um, uh, okay. So Menorcans became visible minorities in the city. But they would contribute to, you know, the um, profit and culture, the maritime culture. They were fishermen, pilots, lighthouse keepers. And so Juan Andreu was one of the many uh, Menorcan keepers of the St. Augustine Lighthouse. But he was the first. Hmm. Wow. Um, but he tragically fell to his death mm. while whitewashing the tower. Oh, Does this no. remind you of the lighthouse at all? Oh, my God. Um, the scaffolding he was standing on collapsed and he fell 60 feet <gasps> onto the roof of the building where they stored the oil for the light. Oh, God. And um, the local newspaper carried a graphic account of the accident, which must have been really cool for Maria and her family to see. Yeah, super fun. Um, <laughs> uh, legend has it that Maria went to the top of the lighthouse and called out, what shall I do? And reportedly she heard her husband's voice in the wind and told her to tend to the light. Oh. It would be weeks before the government would appoint a new lighthouse keeper. But as far as we know, until then, those few weeks, the light continued to shine with no official lighthouse keeper on duty. But she was getting paid as assistant, right? Technically? I'm not sure. (laughs) Oh, my God. Because this was before those other ladies that we talked about by, by, you know, like 20 to 30 years. So she had his body then, I assume, there that whole time. I don't know. Wow. I wonder. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Yeah. So, but she had been there for a long time, remember? Yeah. And because lighthouse keepers were held to really high levels of respect by the community with the overwhelming support from the St. Augustine community who all rallied around her and ensured that she became the next official lighthouse keeper. Oh, yay. (laughs) And when she was given the post, she was the first female lighthouse keeper in Florida and the first Hispanic American woman in the U.S. lighthouse service and she started receiving a yearly salary of $400. Um, again, 20 to 30 years before those other numbers we were talking about. So Okay. So maybe um, it was comparable. Yeah. And okay. um, and she was 58 years old. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And she still had 12 kids? Well, presumably they were all, like, growing and stuff. I hope so. Oh, my yeah. God. I hope mm-hmm. she had lots of people to fucking help her grow shit and well i hope her kids were able to help 
Yeah. Presumably some of them were able-bodied and old enough at the time. I really fucking hope so. Yeah. So Maria set a precedent for women serving in the military because technically she was in the military. Shit, you're right. Because she was part of the Coast Guard. Um, She was given the position of head lighthouse keeper with pay equal to men in that same position. Okay, good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it, she's the first Hispanic American woman to serve in the Coast Guard, um, which it, at the time I think it was called the United States Revenue Cutter Service. <laughs> but Okay. Um, and she was the first Hispanic American woman to command a federal shore installation. Damn. Um, she was among the first of about 175 women across the nation who have commanded lighthouses or served on the U.S. Lighthouse Board. And I think that is to today. So that's still a pretty small number. Wait, say <laughs> it again. How many? 175. That's it? Yeah. Since 1859? Yeah. Oh, my God. That's well, not enough. <laughs> I mean, you, I guess you just kind of take what you can get because uh, yes, the I mean, life is hard. The life is hard. It's yes, you're you're right. <laughs> um, so she stood watch as keeper of the St. Augustine Lighthouse for three years. Because if it's in 1859, what's in three years, Hannah? Oh, my God. The war. Wait. Yeah. OK. I was war. like, it is the war, right? Oh, Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Oh, shit. So the light in the lighthouse was extinguished in 1862 because they feared it would aid the Union Navy. Oh, no. Yeah. So Maria moved away from the lighthouse. Um, very little is known about her life beyond that. Um, it's believed that she went to Georgia, um, mm. which is where one of her children lived, I think. And she could potentially be buried there, but nobody is exactly sure. Um, yeah. So she might have been the first female Coast Guard employee, but Hispanic American women have continued to make a significant impact in the Coast Guard. In 1983, Jacqueline Ball and Deborah Winnie became the first Hispanic American women to graduate from the Coast Guard Academy. Uh, Grizzle Hollis became the first Hispanic American woman chief and chief warrant officer in 1991. Also in 1991, Marilyn Melendez Dykeman became the first Hispanic American female Coast Guard aviator. And Catherine Tiongson took command of Bainbridge Island, becoming the first Hispanic American female to command an afloat unit. Damn. But Hispanic Americans serving in the Coast Guard make up about 11% of the service. That's a large percent. Mm-hmm. I mean, relatively. Yeah. Um, quote, Maria Andreu's leadership and perseverance as keeper of the lighthouse inspired generations of women to shine as female employees within federal service through her beacon of light, said retired, retired Lieutenant Commander Dykeman. Oh, Andreu opened the doors for women in the Coast Guard like myself and will carry over throughout many generations to come. I love that. In whatever way women came to tend the light, they prov- they proved to be every bit the equal of their male counterparts. Many, like Kate Harn and Maria Andreu, supported their families through times of great stress and hardship while working to keep their communities safe. Oh. And allegedly, her ghost and her husband's <laughs> ghost still haunt the St. Augustine Lighthouse <laughs> to this day. 
Of course. Of course they do. And but in a friendly way. Mar- yes. Maria's ghost likes to walk through the woods around the lighthouse and helps visitors find their way around. Oh. And I she seems that. to not be a fan of disrespectful visitors. <laughs> Well, her good. Favorite, that was her home her, for a long time. Yes. Her favorite place to hang out as a ghost is the top of the lighthouse, especially at night and on stormy afternoons, apparently. Makes sense. And then this, uh, the St. Augustine website said, what, do you, what would her ghost like to tell our readers? When things seem their worst, pick yourself up and be strong, which I thought was a great way to end with how we've been feeling. <laughs> I agree. I think that is perfect. I, you know, it's funny because I know that this was like a little bit of lighthouse history mm-hmm. in addition to her history, but I I think I needed that. Just that just slice of life kind of. I don't yeah, know. I, I, I really love her story in particular because even though we don't know all that many details, the fact that her whole community rallied behind her and supported her and she was paid equal to men who had the same job at the time and she was yeah. greatly respected in her time. Like, <clears throat> like she didn't seem to, by this story, I'm sure on you know micro level maybe, experience racism or sexism as significant hindrances to her being successful in her life and being right. like one of the first women to be in the Coast Guard and certainly the first, you know, Latinx woman to -hmm. be in the Coast Guard. Fucking cool, man. I don't know. Yeah. However much, like, I guess an accident is maybe the wrong word, but however much an accident it might have been, it was her reality. And like you said, I love that her community rallied and they were like, no, she's been here for, you know, over a decade, I think, if I remember your dates yeah, correctly. Yeah, it was like a little gap, but it was it was a long time. I but think she was, was there. You know? Yeah. And and as assistant lightkeeper or as wife of the lightkeeper, who cares? She was there for a long ass time. She clearly knew how to do what she needed to do. And that community, I think it's amazing that they were like, yeah, we recognize this person as competent and we don't really care that you know she might be a minority in our community this is what we want and this is what we're gonna have and fuck yeah. i mean that's really cool yeah in 18 how whatever 59, 59. yeah <laughs> that is uh it's a such an anomaly racist and sensitive and, and and sexist time <laughs> you know yeah the fact that they had to shut the lighthouse off to keep from aiding the union soldiers is um a testament to like what what the area she was in was like and yet and how important it was like that lighthouse in that spot was a very right. important lighthouse huge i mean yeah i think the reason that saint augustine is such is like the oldest settlement in the u.s is because it was such an important port for yeah. many 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 years obviously mm-hmm. since the 1500s it was um major and yeah she to, had a to big the colonizers job. yeah <laughs> to the colonizers to the people who quote discovered uh that area yeah. <laughs> every no time i researched, had ever seen it before 
Yeah, exactly. Every time I do any research from that era, it's like, oh, such and such person discovered blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, they didn't. They didn't. It's so amazing how skewed our history is. But I guess that makes her story all the more amazing. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I loved that. That was great. Thank you. It's mostly cool, but I found out about her because I was watching a video about ghosts. In the lighthouse. Yes, and I they happen to make a comment. They were like, Oh, the ghost of Maria Andreu. And then they're like, By the way, she was the first Hispanic American. And I was like, oh, Take oh, note. Shit. <laughs> I gotta I look took, at her now. I took note of her months ago. It's and like was it's waiting like, for, for the crossover between Hispanic heritage uh, and spookin' season. Damn, you waited. You I sat did. and you waited like a I good, patient uh, little girl. and um... Sometimes I can do that. <laughs> well, Rarely. it was perfect. Also, Thanks. it's perfect because I don't know if it is where you are, but it's kind of stormy outside. Yeah, it's kind of gray. What? It's kind of gray. Oh, I can't forget to cite my sources. <gasps> Thank you, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cite your sources, Deanna. My sources this week were Wikipedia, der. Uh, staugustinelighthouse.org, uh, cool. staugustine.com, uh, womenshistoryblog.com, or sorry, womenhistoryblog, uh, and jacksonville.com. And two of those um, articles were written by Walter Shin, who was um, one of the people I referenced. So, Very cool. Yeah. Awesome. Oh boy, I, it it would not text. have given it away, but, uh, but I love St. Augustine. I've never been, but... I love the idea of it <laughs> and I want to yeah. go so badly. I just want to see it someday yeah, before too. it's let's underwater. Go. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it before climate change totally fucks our plans. And let's go visit the, the lighthouse. <laughs> yeah, it's going to have to be on our itinerary. <laughs> We're going to have to go during the spooking season so that we can do some ghost tours and mm-hmm. go to the lighthouse and mm-hmm. um, yeah, have lots of. Um, spooky haunted oldest settlement in the US adventures yeah yeah I'm, I'm into all of that good are you a good witch or a bad bitch let us know by becoming a patron on, on our, our patreon, patreon. <laughs> oh no patreon is a service that helps content creators like ourselves keep the ship going and make sure that we're able to cover all the costs that uh, come along with doing our podcast and the more patrons we get hopefully the more content we can start creating exclusively for patrons yes so if you are interested in something like that please become a patron so that we can start creating that content for you also when you become a patron you will get a shout out on our podcast and we will thank you personally on air how exciting is that very exciting yeah yeah you can find us at patreon.com slash gwbb podcast do you want to tell me about some on this day yeah i have a few (laughs) all right um so today's september 30th and on September 30th, 1888, apparently Jack the Ripper killed his third and fourth victims. Uh-oh. Oh, he was busy that day. Um, Jesus. Elizabeth Stride and Catherine Eddowes were their names. Whoa. Um, I figured Again. this one was, was on brand and also on theme. 1909, the Cunard Line, RMS Mauritania, makes a record-breaking westbound crossing of the Atlantic that would not be bettered for 20 years. 
Oh, mm-hmm. that is perfect for you. Very ship history. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 1962, James Meredith enters the University of Mississippi defying racial segregation rules. Okay. Mm-hmm. Very cool. 1966, Bechuanaland declares its independence and becomes the Republic of Botswana. Ah, okay. And then in 2016, two paintings with a combined value of $100 million are recovered after having been stolen from the Van Gogh Museum in 2002. Oh, oh. successful art thieves? Yeah, but then they they found them. (laughs) Oh, shit. I thought that one was a a good one to end on. Yeah, I like that. (laughs) Just weird. Art related. I love I love art art thievery. It's so funny. There yeah. are lots of drunk history episodes about various art thieves and um God, I'm so bummed drunk history is ending. Oh, me too. Oh God. But yeah, there are some good ones. But especially about the guy who stole the Mona Lisa, um, and some more. So if you want more art thievery, go watch Drunk History. Yep. Art thievery and comedy. Mm-hmm. What are yeah. you excited about this weekend? Oh, God. I I keep trying to think about something that I'm excited about, and it's hard. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> life is complicated and confusing. Um, but I've been making a medieval dress, and that's been fun. So I'm excited about that because I'm it's it's very bad, but I'm learning a lot and. <laughs> I've sewn some eyelets by hand, which Ooh. is very fancy. And um, I'm learning about, like, why medieval dresses were so tight. Because at first I was like, gross, medieval dresses were tight to, like, you know, show off the female form and make them bigger targets or whatever. But actually, it was about wearing something tight enough that your chest was supported. I was going to say, was it about boobies? (laughs) It was about boobies. It was about making sure that they had support and were compressed and not in your way. And I was like, oh, okay, that's really cool. So I'm trying to make one of those and I'm I'm doing a poor job of it, but I feel like I could do it again and do it well (laughs) the next time. And thankfully, I've gotten all of my materials from the ARC. So, you know, nothing has been over $5. You're ecologically conscious and mm-hmm. financially responsible. That's right. At the same time. I got to say, the Ark is like the fucking best place to get fabric. Because not only do people donate fabric, but they donate drapes and bed sheets and lots of things that oh, actually yeah. are really great materials for making shit. So if anyone is starting a sewing journey, which apparently is a very pandemic thing if the um outage of sewing machines is any indication uh go to the ark yeah there's lots of cool stuff there for you to practice with so yeah so you're excited about that that's lovely i think that's what i'm excited about i know i've been excited about sewing a few times but like this is a very specific thing that i'm doing just to you know try and See what happens. Also, because it's the spookin' season, I was like, I'm going to need a Halloween costume. So that was the the impetus for that. But yeah, I think that's what I'm excited about. I'm proud of you. 
Thank you. I'm proud of me too. <laughs> One day I'll show it to you, even though I think I'm probably going to be a little embarrassed about it, but you know. But in it's a cute fine. way. Yeah, yeah. I'll show you my uneven eyelets and my yeah. lopsided uh, pattern. And Sewing is hard. Sewing, sewing is, is so really, hard. Nobody so understands hard. this unless they went to theater school in college. <laughs> so And they true. had to take a class and you're like, Jesus Christ, this is so tedious. Yes, yes. Because the I measuring too, and the math and uh, then just the patience to do the right knots. And even if you're using the machine, the, the like patience to like tie up the string in it. And then when it gets caught undoing it and when it jams and all, oh. So well, tedious. And the hardest part I have learned is, like, as you say, it's the tedious things. It's the, it's having to iron every seam before you sew it so that your shit doesn't turn out lopsided or lumpy or weird. You have to mm-hmm. iron everything. And you have to, f- quote, finish your seams on the inside. You have to, like, make them not unravel, basically. Yep. Yep. So you have to go through and you have to finish all of your fucking seams and it, it it takes forever. And that is the part about sewing that no one tells you is really fucking obnoxious. But hey, it's also a little zen. So, But it also makes it all the more worthwhile for you to say that it's what you're excited about. Because when you feel like you're just starting to master something, like even if it's the beginning of the, the yes. feeling like you're getting it, so you true. worked really fucking hard to get there. So It's so true. Yeah. Yep. So that's that's it. That's what I'm excited about. Medieval like dresses it. that are made out of drapes from the Ark. <laughs> I'm excited that I can see the kitty right now on Facebook. I know. <laughs> Look at him. He's so fluffy. He's so fluffy to the point where it's like getting obnoxious. <laughs> we have to brush him. But, uh, uh, you know, besides cats and medieval dresses. Oh, and hissing cats. <laughs> no. Bad. Don't even. Oh, God. He's going to try and attack me. He goes from uh, 1 to 100 so quickly for no reason. I know. Reason. He does. He really does. Um, but that's our show. And if you have any inclination, we are on social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram at GWBB Podcast. We are on Ko-Fi, ko-fi.com slash GWBB Podcast. And you can buy us a coffee if you like. Um, and we are also on Patreon, patreon.com slash podcast. We're very bad about updating it, but, you know, we're also independently run and edited and managed, so we're doing our best. Um, <laughs> which is all you can do in 2020. Which is all you can do in 2020. So, uh, you know, until next time, uh, peace out, witches. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is hosted by Deanna Greif. Me. You. And you. (laughs) Hannah Ferguson. And we're produced by Benjamin Garst. Um, You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. Google Play. Google Play. Pretty much anywhere you listen to your podcasts, you can find us there. We're also on social media. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, GWBB Podcast. You can also email us at gwbbpodcast at gmail.com. We love to receive emails. If you have a story about a woman in your life that you want to hear on air, uh, shoot it over to us. We would love to read it. 
If you want to help keep us running, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. <laughs> Become a patron and help us, you know, pay for our hosting. Yeah, Patreon really helps content creators be able to continue to create their content. And it just kind of helps us break even on the costs of producing this podcast. And it would be really awesome if you wanted to help out. If you like it, you can be a part of it. Also, to help us out, you can rate, review, and subscribe. All of, the, all of those things are extremely helpful for us. They help other listeners find us. Yeah. Word of mouth, also good. Yeah. <laughs> our website is gwbbpodcast.com. You can find all of our episodes there as well as some other things bubbling out of our witchy cauldron. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is powered by Moonbounce. Moon